Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with Lyle and... Angela again. He let me back. I did. (laughs) I don't know that we should have... uh, Do you think... I'm not sure. Listeners, do you think we should have let Angela back into the studio or not? It's going to be a good morning. A good morning. It's going to be an amazing morning. Um, Angela is here, like it or not. I think everybody likes it. I've, had, I've actually had a number of really positive comments this week, Angela. Oh, praise God. From listeners. so Even with the American accent. Even, huh? even you have been forgiven for having an American accent. Uh, it's because you're Australian. You're actually uh-huh. Australian. I am Australian. Very proud. Australian. Very proud. Yeah, absolutely. Angela, what are you thankful for this morning? I am thankful, actually, for the way that Jesus teaches us how to work with people. I had the privilege of having a training seminar yesterday, um, and it was just lots of examples of how Jesus reaches out to people. And you realize it is so incredibly beautiful and, and just easy. You just connect with people, and then you watch lives change as you show them Jesus. And it was honestly so empowering. Yesterday, I just felt like, I want to go find a broken person. And then I realized they're everywhere. But it was just, <laughs> I'm broken. Um, so I just really, I was just really thankful for Jesus' example. Yeah, yesterday. praise God. That's fa- fantastic. That's amazing. I'm thankful. My, uh, I've mentioned this a number of times. I have the most like amazing father-in-law on the planet, and he's been very unwell recently. And, of course, he lives on the other side of the world. He lives in Wisconsin, not far from where your family comes from in uh, Michigan, Angela. But with the whole COVID crisis, of course, it's meant that, you know, my wife has not been able to go and visit him. And so she applied to the Australian government and got a special exemption granted (gasps) to her yesterday to be able to travel. So she'll be flying out on Sunday. So God is good. That was a, definitely an answer to prayer, a miracle we were not expecting. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. And what do we have happening in the world of positively different news? Well, the first story that I have to share with you is kind of uh, very different. I don't know about you guys, but do you know your neighbors? Is that something that you're aware of on your street? Do you know your neighbors' names? Have you interacted with them? I know most of my neighbors, but not all of them. And some of them I interact with yeah, semi-regularly and some kind of irregularly. Well, there was a young man um, in a suburb of Sydney, Ashfield, uh, Jack. And he realized that when this pandemic hit, that he did not know his neighbors. And if something happened to him or if there was something going on in his street, then that would not be a good thing that he was unaware of who was on his street. And so, um, in case you're wondering, last year, the ABC's Australia Talk surveyed and they found that there is roughly one in three people in Sydney and Melbourne who actually know their neighbors. Oh, you've got to be kidding. Yes. Oh, that's just a, that, that, is, that, is a, that is a shame, shame on Australians right now for not knowing your neighbors. You know, I noticed that um, when I lived in an apartment... Um, as I saw people every day, I actually knew all of their names. But when I moved out to the country, which I was so thrilled because I'm a country girl, I actually didn't know my neighbors because I wasn't forced to interact with them as much. But in the apartment, I did just because I naturally went through the doors and passed each other constantly. And when I was in the country, you had to be very intentional to go out. And yes. I guess in the neighborhood, you have to be just as intentional because you're not naturally interacting them like in an apartment. You do. And when you were living out at Allendale, you had some awesome neighbors but, of course, that was during uh, COVID lockdown, and so you couldn't really have much to do with them. Yep. But, so what Jack but the only, is- I will say this. The only reason that I knew all of the neighbors 
um, when I lived in the country was because I specifically went and knocked on their doors, introduced myself, had conversations, invited them around for a housewarming party, and it was just amazing. Yeah. And, and there's so much benefit you can get from knowing your neighbours and being on good terms with your neighbours because they are the people who will look out for you if something ever goes bad. And that is what Jack said. I need to be aware of what's going on. So he started to decide what to do and he decided to start a Facebook group. And so he wrote a letter and put it in all the letter boxes and asked people if they would want to join this neighborhood Facebook group. 320 houses joined and he now says that he knows 90 of his neighbor's names. In addition, one thing that I thought was really cool is there was a chef on the street and he was getting less um, shifts because, you know, there's less people going out to eat, of course. And so the chef just put on the Facebook group, hey, I'm willing to make anybody meals if anybody wants to buy food. Well, there are several people, Jack himself included, that are buying meals from the chef and they're helping to supplement his income right now. So they've got like a uh, micro economy happening right there on the street because you never know what kind of skills, you know, what, what skill sets your neighbors have unless you get to know them. And I have uh, friends who um, their neighbor lost his job at the start of the COVID lockdown and he uh, had a background in building. So they just hired him to do some renos for them. I mean, renos is what everybody's been doing lately. It's the, it's yeah, the big renos. Yeah, people beautiful homes after yeah. this <laughs> with yellow and green and blue paint, right? That's absolutely because we promoted it here on Faith FM. <laughs> All right. My second story is a really exciting story, I think. Um, it's where you took trash and made it into something promising. So there's a hospital, Princess Alexandra Hospital, that is using a large dehydrator to reduce waste going into landfill. So basically, a hospital, of course, has tons of food waste, right? Makes sense. I mean, a patient always isn't feeling really well, and so they don't finish their food. So they have a massive amount of food waste. The PAH creates more than 500 kilograms of food waste each day. That's pretty significant. Yes. And so what they've done is they have taken this dehydrator. It takes the moisture out, heats it up, and cleans it up. And the byproduct is similar to dirt, but it's used as fertilizer. And um, it takes the 500 kilograms of food waste each day and makes it down to 50 kilograms of fertilizer. And how do we buy this fertilizer? Um, Actually, the hospital is using it on their own grounds. Oh, okay. So they're making beautiful hospital grounds that you can see the difference right there. And it's saving the hospital because it costs the hospital to dispense waste. And plus, they have to pay the state waste levy tax too. And that is $50,000 a year that it's saving their hospital. That's impressive. Food waste is actually a great source of fertilizer. And for those who have had the opportunity of having uh, either a worm farm or a compost heap, you know just how beneficial food waste can be for your garden. So it's similar to composting. Yeah, similar. It's the same kind of concept just without the moisture. But it takes 24 hours. Instead of composting, it takes forever. Yeah, three months. Yes. (laughs) But when you use this dehydrator, it takes 24 hours. And guess what's really more cool is they take the steam and they use that as gray water to water their gardens. So it's oh, like you're a kidding. double, triple Because <laughs> I was sort of thinking about that, you know, if you, if you use it as a compost, like as in wet waste, the downside of a compost is the smell. Yes. Now, you can counteract that by having a worm farm because worm farms smell nice, but worm farms, they take, they take a bit more work and you can't put everything in them. You can't, you know, you can only put fresh food in them. You can't put anything that's got a bite to it or anything you know, citrusy or whatever. So they have their disadvantage. But what you've, but then the disadvantage of turning, of taking all the moisture out is you actually lose all of that moisture. 
because normally that is contributed to the garden in the compost, yes. mm. but they're actually just separating the two. And using them both using in Using them gardens. separately. So you don't have the offensive smell. You don't have the offensive appearance of having food waste just poured all over your hospital gardens. <laughs> and you've got all of the nutrients right there. And in one month, in one month's time, they achieved an 80 to 94% reduction in the volume of, the, of their food waste. In oh, one that's, month's time. That's just amazing. So I grew up on a farm and we, in America, you're allowed to burn your trash. So we had three ways that we divide our trash in the house. One was the non-burnable that you couldn't burn. It would hurt the environment or it's glass. And then the second was burnable. And the third was food waste. And we'd feed it to our chickens or our cows. Um, and, and the country is very easy to do that because there was no recycling programs out there. But I was thinking, what if we started stations in the city? Because, you know, there's a lot of food waste from yes. restaurants. So if there was like the station that you could go and you take all your food waste, imagine how much would be avoided in our landfills if there was places to take our food waste and then we had fertilizer that we could buy to use to really help our gardens. I think this is a fantastic idea. I think they need to put, set them up beside those um, bottle um, recycling units where they buy your bottles and cans and so forth. If you just sit it beside there and, hey, throw your food waste in here. Yeah, Problem it's, solved. It's a win-win because our restaurants have huge amounts of food waste, of course. Cafeterias, schools could get on this, helps to educate students. I think there's a great thing right here that this hospital is doing. Absolutely. I think we need to see more of these kind of projects taking place wherever we go. And I guess for country people, we're all gonna, always going to have our compost heap. But for city people, this is uh, just fantastic. And it will save your wheelie bin from smelling bad. Which everyone doesn't want to stink to live in. That's right. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Joining us on the phone this morning is Camilla Scaff. Camilla, welcome to the show. Hello, good morning. How are you, Lyle and Angela? Yeah, we're doing great here this morning. Uh, Camilla, you're the health director for um, the North New South Wales region for our church. And as such, you've been working your way through a 12-part series here once a month on Faith FM. This week, I understand that we're going to talk about how to avoid deception when it comes to health and health practices and so forth. And I just have to say, you know, whenever I have, whenever I have a friend who is diagnosed with cancer, and I'm going to use yes. this one as it's probably the, the, the biggest example I've ever come across, Yes. They get bombarded with every piece of it health advice, health advice known to man. Mm, that's so right. How do you go about trying to figure out what is legit and what isn't? That's right. So, uh, good morning, everybody. I am very happy to be back here this month. And this is what um, we thought about could be helpful for you. Um, you might be driving to work now or you're just tuning in to listen to some words. And we realized from our last talk that stress has been um, one of the biggest villains today in being um, producing and causing disease. Um, any kind of disease, and especially, especially in the period uh, of uncertainties that we're living now and just coming from a big COVID pandemic and lots of people are just getting back to their normal lives, um, coming back from quarantine, we realize that people are looking for answers. And not only people um, that are facing cancer, because there's certainly lots of them out there, uh, Lyle, but also... Um, you know, people are facing lots of different kinds of diseases. 
And my talk today is also going to be based on um, a book that I'm reading. It's called The Heart of Health, Avoiding Deception. It's by Dr. James Markham. And I'm finding this very, very interesting because the truth is everyone that is looking for healing, as you mentioned, Lyle, or, you know, they come across a, a, a severe disease and they're trying to look for answers. Uh, the question is, where are you looking for healing and where are you getting your health advice? I know Google is a big one. Lots of people go to Google searching for answers. Um, but the first question I'm going to ask today uh, Lyle, is have we or have you start to think of what's causing these diseases? So, for example, in terms of cancer, we are facing with lots of people finding out the said sort of uh, day that they find out that they're going to be battling cancer. So a lot of times people get so focused in to kill the cancer with whatever is possible, and that's fine. There are lots of um, uh, technology available, um, medis medications and chemotherapy and very highly trained doctors to help with that. But then the question remains, what's causing that? Because sometimes I have watched people going through sessions of chemo and they go through an operation, they take the cancer that they have found, they're trying to kill or at least eliminate or diminish or, you know, stop the cancer to grow, just to find out shortly after that there's other cancer cells growing in other regions of their body. Because they haven't dealt with the actual cause of the cancer. And That's so while right. they're treating one area, they're feeding the cancer somewhere else. Yes. And so our um, modern society today, and I wanted to ask questions because I want to see if you are listening and you agree with me, is that we are constantly looking for that solution to the symptom or to what it appears to be the biggest urgent need, which is okay. We also need to look for that. But then in that midst of confusion, we forget to search for the cause and as well as for the solution for that cause. What's preventing us from experiencing optimal health and what is the solution for that? So I love that Dr. James Markham, he's actually a cardiologist. So he deals mostly with people that come to his office that are having a heart attack or have had a heart attack. And through the book, he particularly talks about one patient that came and he thought he was healthy. He thought he ate well. He thought he had a healthy life. Just like many people that are finding that they have cancer today, they're, they're not expecting, right? They're mm -hmm. finding that they're having a normal life. And they come across a doctor that delivers them the news or they will just experience a heart attack or that pain, that, uh, you know, undiagnosed pain that when they go and find out, there's that fear already. You know, something is wrong with me because our body tells us through pain or through inflammation that something is wrong. And then we find out that there is something significant that can be costing our lives. And then we sort of panic. And that extra stress it's not going to help the disease, but it's going to accelerate sometimes the symptoms, which is why sometimes we're looking for that quick fix and the magic pill. So number one, uh, uh, one of the advices to avoid deception that this doctor talks about that I want to share with you today 
is what are we looking for? Number one, have we diagnosed the cause? And number two, are we looking for a quick fix for a pill? A pill that will be a miracle pill, but that will not actually change our lifestyle and change the, you know, what's been causing that. So that's number one question that we have to be honest to ourselves when we come across uh, searching for healing, right? Absolutely. And with some of these, um, you know, major diseases, it's going to require a decision to make significant lifestyle changes. And of course, you're going to feel so much better and healthier if you do from every other aspect. But it is a decision that you need to make. Yes. And then Dr. Marcus also bring a factor that not most doctors are looking at these days. He, he says, look, um, he recognizes the benefits of modern medicine as well as the benefits of, um, the, the, the health practical, um, message and the plan that God has for its people and its creation. And, but he brings a, 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 something to the table that a lot of doctors don't realize or don't talk about, which is the fear factor. We are living in a fear factor society where we're constantly afraid. And he says there are other, other names for fear, guilt, worry, uncertainty, anger, so we're constantly dealing with these emotions and we don't realize that in a lot of circumstances, these very fears are the underlying factors for the diseases that are coming to the surface. And he actually touches a spiritual point. And because this is a, a Christian radio and we're talking to people who might be looking for true, absolute true answers, I want to be very upfront here. Um, Dr. Jennings says that lies believed break the circle of love and trust. This leads to a spirit of fear, selfishness, and rebellion. What is causing us the fear? It's because we have been told lies about who we are, about the life purpose that we have, about where we come from. And according to these doctors, these lies are causing fear, are causing stress into our lives. And instead of causing us to running towards the healer, which is God himself, our creator, and he knows how to help us to deal with these deceptions, we are many times running away. Can mm -hmm. I give a quick example? Sure, absolutely. Please do. So, for example, Lyle, think about this. And you, um, I don't know if you're listening to us from a car, but if you're driving right now and you realize that, a cop is following you. A policeman is following you. <laughs> what is going to happen to your behavior right away? Okay, so you're going to be on I your toes. You're going to be looking at your speedo. You're going to be minding your P's and Q's. Your heart rate's going to go up a little bit. Your stress level's going to go up a little bit. All that happens when a cop is following you, you're going to be asking, why is this <laughs> cop following me? What, what, That's right. Why is he looking at me? And even if you check everything and you can think of everything and you're like, okay, I'm doing everything right, does that still take the, the stress or fear away? No, not at all because I've had occasions when I've checked everything, I'm doing everything right, and the next minute the lights come on. In fact, I had this happen about two <laughs> weeks ago. The lights came on. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? I'm not doing anything wrong. I've pulled over. The guy comes up and he's like, oh, he's doing a random breath test. 
and I've, I've, I've blown in the breath tester and he's been on his way. And I'm like, thank you. God bless you. I appreciate uh, the work of the police out there keeping the community safe. I'm glad to know that they, are, that they are working hard and uh, went on my way. But it doesn't, it doesn't mean that I wasn't stressed. I was definitely stressed. That's right. And it's good for you. You had a better, better experience than I did recently when I went to Sydney and I checked everything and I was doing, he was actually in front of me, not behind me. And there was one turn that I took, which I followed the cop that was in front of me and the Google Maps was showing me just the same. And soon enough, he waits for me to pass and he stops me and he tells me that I was not supposed to make that turn. Oh no, the one I, that he just did. That's right. And then he said, well, I'm just, I'm not on duty, but I'm a police. I can do that. And then I got a ticket of over $300. So, you know, my, my stress was even worse after I got stopped. But the reason why I'm mentioning this is because I want to give you an example about a big, one of the biggest deception and biggest lie that you and I have been told about God, our creator. And look, because we have very short time, I'm jumping the guns a little bit and I'm going straight to the point. Um, but I think it's amazing that some um, medical doctors that are dealing with patients day in and day out, they're realizing that a lot of these diseases, for example, the heart, the diseases that come from the heart as a cause, um, they are not only coming to be 80% of the population's issues in major cities of the world, but they are no coming with quick fix. People are coming, they're getting a stent just to live a little bit longer, but because they don't change their beliefs and the worldview and their habits, and they don't believe they can change your lifestyle, they keep going back or they're just going to be dying in one year after the stent. And so, and, and that happens to cancer as well and a lot of other diseases. And one of the major deceptions that we are being told is that God, our creator, is just like that police that is right behind us at all times, just watching if, if we're going to be doing something wrong. And he's not and he's just ready to give us a ticket and tell us what that we're doing wrong. So even when we're not doing anything wrong, we're still stressed and we're still afraid of this creator. And we're basically running away from him, which, you know, he is our true healer, Mm, mm. then going towards him. And so perhaps we're running away from the healer and we're running the way from God because we have the wrong picture of God. And then I'm going to jump into my second example here. Have you ever heard about Lance Armstrong, Lyle? Yes, I have. Very okay, famous so what- cyclist. And uh, the first thing that comes into my mind is cheat. <laughs> yes, but we're not going to be talking about the cheat part. We're going to talk about, yes, he's done something wrong, but let's talk about when he's cycling. What does it come behind him? Do you know what he has behind him? Uh, I've never watched cycling, so you'll have to educate me. No, no worries. So he has got a van. And I actually have been on cycling trips before and races. And I'm not a professional cycler. But when I was cycling long distances, I had a van of people to support me. 
and that's what he has. I mean, he's famous in and in, in he's um, a professional, so he has this van to fully support him. If a tire goes flat, they're there to change the tire. If he's doing something wrong, even in the midst of um, that that you mentioned about when he made mistakes, the support van was there not to condemn him not to judge him not to see what he was doing wrong but they were actually there to analyze what was going wrong that they could help him to fix it and they could help him to make better decisions so that he could be successful and to his journey and get to the final point so i think that for some reason we think of god our true healer more of us a cop and a policeman right behind judging us and waiting to find our our mistakes then we look as a support van that is there to support us and to look at what is wrong to help us to fix it and he's there to give us what we don't have I think so that's a God fantastic is- uh, a fantastic illustration that you've given to us right there um but yeah, absolutely amazing that God is our support band, giving us support. So when we think of what the Bible says in Romans six twenty three, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We forget that death is a consequence. Wages is a is a, a reward for something that is done that is not pro-life and god is all about giving us a gift he's all about fixing us healing us and giving us the eternal life and helping us to move away from those habits that will give us a consequence of death so when it comes to sickness and illness we need to realize that there is a bigger picture out there absolutely yes we have done things that provoke our bodies to f- face failure, but it's not over. We can, with the help of God, through Jesus Christ, accept his gift of eternal life. And what is interesting is that when we stop looking for these answers within ourselves, we give space for God and Selfishness is no longer what is defining us. Camilla Scaff, you thank know, you, thank you so much for joining us. We do have to move on with the show; we're way over time. But yes. the thoughts you have shared are just amazing, and we really, really appreciate what you've shared this morning. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Angela, yes, sir. Question, question of the day. Now it's time for the question of the day, and here we go. Jesus eats Passover with his disciples a day before the actual Passover. True? But the text looks like it says otherwise in Matthew 26, 17 through 21. And what do you think eating it Thursday night before he died the next day means for us theologically and practically? Okay, so we get some doozies of questions here on Faith FM. I really like this one, and I don't know that I can plumb all the depths of what the question is actually asking. So we're going to look at a couple of concepts. And if you've got more to add, then feel free to give us a call or send us a text message and add your thoughts on this one to add to it. Okay, so in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus instructs his disciples, go into the city and hire 
a particular room because that is where I am going to keep the Passover with my disciples. When they sit down to the meal that evening, which of course is Thursday evening, they are sitting down to a Passover feast. The whole scene that you have there is a Passover scene that is taking place. And so very clearly Jesus is keeping the Passover a day early. All right, now Angela is just having a, uh, a mind blow. Angela and Liam are sharing some thoughts here, so go for it, guys. Well, remember how we talked about the biblical day? A biblical day starts the evening yes, before. that's right. So we're supposed to say tonight, <coughs> happy Friday, because it's Thursday evening. So that meant that the Bible is not incorrect when it says on the first day, because it was Thursday evening, which is Friday Friday, Friday morning, the beginning of it, not Friday you, morning. You but are the absolutely of correct, except for one thing. Okay. The Passover was supposed to be eaten at dawn, not in the evening. So it was still kept early. Oh. So it was still early. So you're right, and that is that is a very, very valid point. So Jesus is still keeping the Passover on the right day, but he's keeping it early. Okay. All right. So, um, and now I. If, I've, if you need to correct me on any of the details as we work our way through this, then uh, do let me know. There's a couple of thoughts that I'd like to highlight, and uh, one of those thoughts, because we want to, the, the question is, what does this, what does this imply theologically? And obviously, from a practical perspective, you know, Jesus needed to get this done because he is going to be in, in you know, in trial all night long, and then most of the next day, and then crucified. And so this is the last opportunity he actually has to do this. So from a very practical perspective, this is Jesus' last opportunity. However, uh, the question asks for a theological perspective. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And I think that what Jesus is doing here is that he is illustrating something very important for us to understand. Hebrews chapter 9, we're going to read verse 16 and 17. The Bible says, For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. So you've got the Old Covenant, the New Covenant, the Old Testament, the New Testament. And for a testament or a covenant to come into force, because Paul is likening it to a last will and testament, it only comes into force once the person dies. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is no force at all while men Live And he's illustrating the fact that the covenant, the everlasting covenant, has been sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ and come into force by the blood of Jesus Christ. He also speaks about how that once that person has died, you can't change it. So in other words, the everlasting covenant that has now been sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ is sealed. You can't go and change it. Okay. Okay. Following so far? Yes. Good. Uh, Galatians, just to confirm that, Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, where the Bible says in verse 15, Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it is a man's covenant, yet it, if it is confirmed, in other words, if the person dies, if it's confirmed, no man disannuls or adds to it. You can't go changing someone's will after they are dead. You can't change the covenant after Jesus has died. Jesus then keeps the uh, service early to illustrate the fact that he is making a priority of establishing a new covenant ceremony because nothing can be changed after he dies on Calvary. 